0: Lord Jesus, it is good to come into your house today. In the same way, Lord, in which our bodies are warmed after coming in from the cold, may you warm us with your spirit, Lord. May you dwell in us and move in us and speak to us. May our souls be warmed by your presence. It's in your name and for your glory we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. So this year, I think more so than previous years, we uh, have received a lot of questions about Lent this year. Uh, I think there's a lot of folks who perhaps this is the first time going through Lent, or maybe you've gone through Lent many, many times, and you're like, I still have questions about this weird tradition of the church. So before I totally dive into the message today from Luke, I do want to spend a quick intro, uh, uh, give a quick intro to Lent. Uh, some of the questions we've been getting is, where is Lent in the Bible? Do Anglicans practice Lent differently than the Roman Catholics or the Eastern Orthodox? What exactly am I supposed to be giving up for Lent? Well, Lent is a spiritual pilgrimage that you are invited to journey on every single year. There are three characteristics uh, from Lent or, uh, of Lent that come from uh, the book of Matthew when Jesus gives instructions about uh, to pray, to give, to fast. And those are the three hallmarks of Lent. Lent is a time of prayer, of generosity, and of fasting. So here at Restoration, that takes a different shape. So we pray together. Uh, We have a certain Lenten shape to our Sunday worship. So you've probably noticed that by beginning with the confession, which is a more traditional way of starting the liturgy. Uh, And then also we provide to you Lenten devotionals. Those were in the basement the last couple of weeks. Uh, If you did not receive one of those, we now have them available at a table in the library for you to pick up uh, if you'd like. But that gives us a way to pray together as a church. And then also, secondly, we give generously together. So we'll share more about this later. Uh, Molly, our pastor of Outreach, is going to be sending an email about this. But every year we have a Good Friday offering. And this year we're going to ask you to give above and beyond your regular tithing and give to New Life Ministries. And like we said, we'll share more about that later. But then thirdly, we fast together. Now, we haven't mandated a specific item that you give up for Lent, although some churches do that. And that sounds kind of cool. We might do that next year. But you might choose to fast from social media or from sweets or from alcohol or if you're really bold and super spiritual you'll fast from coffee Uh, you might fast from listening to music in the car something that would uh, allow you to examine your desires and remind you to pray to the Lord Lord I hunger for you so in Lent we pray we give and we fast or we fast together But like I said, it's a 40-day spiritual journey. 40 days harkens back to Israel's 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, to the 40-day flood uh, in Noah's day, or Jesus' own 40 days in the wilderness of fasting. 40 is the number of penitence and cleansing in the scriptures. But it is also a spiritual pilgrimage. God frequently calls his people to remember his mighty acts And for those of you who know your Bible well, you know that there's more to the word remember than just merely mentally recalling something. It's more than just a reenactment of history. When the Bible talks about remembering, it is a mystical participation in the mighty acts of God. So when I say Lent is a spiritual pilgrimage, I mean that you are invited by Holy Mother Church to mystically participate in the life of Jesus Christ. We walk with him as he journeys to Jerusalem We remember his betrayal, his agony, his death, and ultimately his resurrection. And as we follow Jesus, as we pray like him, and give like him, and fast like him, we become more like him. So Lent is a 40-day spiritual pilgrimage with Jesus. If you want to learn more, we've got more information and resources on our website. Like I said, there's the table in the lobby, or in the library over there to learn more as well. So where does this journey begin? What's the first stop on this journey? Where is the launching place of this journey? Well, Lent always begins in the wilderness. We join Jesus in the wilderness as he's being tempted by the devil. Now, often we hear this story and we think of temptations simply in terms of rules, whether or not they're being broken or obeyed. And so we ask the question when we look at this, when put under pressure, does Jesus break the rules? But I think ultimately, and and N.T. Wright points this out when he discusses this passage, really, ultimately, this is a passage that is about pure worship. The temptations are attempts of the devil to distract Jesus from worshiping and trusting the one true God. God calls us to know, to love, and to worship him with all of our mind, heart, soul, and strength. And in doing so, we celebrate our genuine humanity, And we reflect his image to a lost and broken world. So temptations, therefore, lure us away from that privilege, away from that vocation. So, what does Jesus do in this moment? Does he lower his gaze? Does he find a shortcut to his ultimate goal? Does he settle for second best? Let's look in Luke chapter 4. If you have your Bibles open there, um, open that with you. And I would encourage you to bring your Bibles. I know as like most Anglicans, we probably rely a lot on these lovely bulletins. Um, But sometimes it's fun to see the context of these stories. Uh, Because if we were to turn the page immediately before this, we would see that Jesus uh, had just been baptized. And the scriptures tell us that immediately after that, he's taken by the Spirit into the wilderness. So, no one is with Jesus in this moment. He is isolated. He's far from the community. And also, he's fasting. He hasn't had anything to eat for 40 days. So, he is alone, and he's hungry. And by all appearances, Jesus is weak and vulnerable in this moment. And this is precisely when Satan strikes. The devil calls in to question the words that Jesus had just heard at his baptisms. At his baptism, there's not multiple baptisms of Jesus, by the way. (laughs) So Satan says to him, are you the son of God? If you are the son of God, great, very well then. If that is true, then prove it. Now, our family loves nature documentaries, uh, especially the Planet Earth series. Are you guys familiar with that? You know, it's known for its like, slow motion, like HD sort of pans over beautiful landscapes and stuff like that. But the part that's, that's always heart-wrenching, and every single one of their episodes have this, is when the predator is chasing its prey. Whether it's a wolf hunting an antelope, or a fox chasing a chipmunk, or a shark that's going after a sea lion, The tactics of the predator are always the same. They watch and they observe. They're patient and they wait for that moment for the vulnerable member of the pack to be peeled away. And they look in particular for the sick, the wounded, the young, and they wait for that right moment. And when the stronger members, they wait for the moment of maybe the stronger members of the community, uh, perhaps not paying total attention, or maybe the vulnerable lowers their own guard, and they sort of wander off. But that's when the predator comes and separates the vulnerable away from the flock. And he chases, and chases, and chases, and he taunts, and he taunts, and he taunts, and he runs down the victim Until finally the victim runs into a dead end. Or she catches her foot. Or she simply becomes too tired to run any longer. And that's when the predator moves in and overtakes the prey. Satan is that hungry wolf, isn't he? Satan waits for Jesus to be alone. He observes that that Jesus is hungry. You're hungry, are you? Well, then satisfy your own desires. You are the son of God. Just make bread appear. You're the king of kings, are you? Or you want to be the king of kings? Well, then here, have all this power over all the nations. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to go through the cross. I'll give it to you. So you're the promised Messiah, huh? Avoid all this suffering. Take this shortcut and claim what is rightfully yours. He chases and chases and taunts and taunts the hungry man. Satan is heartless. He does not fight fair. He goes after all of those who are exhausted, those who are weak, those who are isolated, those who are young and broken and vulnerable. He has no grace, he has no sympathy. The devil is heartless. So what about Jesus? How does he fight back against the devil? In the Garden of Eden, Adam, the head of the human race, was confronted by the devil as well and he failed. For 40 years, Israel wandered through the wilderness also being tested, and they failed. It was within Jesus' right to provide for his bodily needs, to command the power over all the nations, to prove undoubtedly to the entire world that yes, he is the Messiah. But here in the wilderness, Jesus places himself into the position of ordinary human life. He is like all of us, under the authority of God, and under the purposes for which God has called him to. Jesus is the new Adam. Jesus is the new Israel. And when confronted by the tempter in the wilderness, Jesus wins. Jesus answers that ancient serpent with the living word, and he maintains single-minded devotion to God. He is totally faithful. His faith in the Father overrides his bodily desires. His faith rules out any easy but costly shortcuts to glory. And his faith clings him to the words that had been spoken over him at his baptism. For Jesus, worshiping his Father was bigger and more precious than all the things that Satan offered him. Well, this passage concludes by saying that the devil departed from him, waiting for an opportune time. If that sounds forbidding to you, then you're paying attention to the passage. Now, the wilderness is not where Jesus experiences ultimate victory over Satan. Satan, that hungry wolf, leaves this moment and goes back to lurking in the shadows, patiently watching and waiting again, waiting for Jesus to become weak again. But this battle, this one in the wilderness, has been won as one scholar says, for the first time, for the first time in human history, a son of Adam has raised an effective defense against Satan. <laughs> Isn't that great? For Satan, the writing is on the wall. And for you and me, we get this brilliant glimpse into the new life that is available through, to us through Jesus Christ. The ability to actually overcome sin. What a hope. So what assails you today? What are the taunting words that you hear day in and day out? What comes to mind when you are in the position of being lonely and hungry? How is the fact that you are a child of God being called into question today? How are you being tempted to prioritize your own bodily desires, your own vocation over God's calling above your life, upon your life? So over the years, we accumulate bad habits. We start to listen to the noise that are around us. Our souls pick up wounds from the journey. And these cause us to lose sight of our good Father in heaven. When faced with temptations, we often fail. So last week here at Restoration, uh, we celebrated baptisms. Uh, It was a lovely time, it was a beautiful time. Martin Luther says the Christian journey is like climbing through one's past back to the waters of baptism. And so, in light of that, we've placed the baptismal font at the back entrance of the sanctuary back there. That lives in Him now lives in us. So, my prayer as we journey together through Lent these 40 days, that we together may resist temptation and be drawn more and more into perfect worship of our good Father in heaven. Please pray with me. Almighty God, whose blessed Son was led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan, come quickly to help us who are assaulted by many temptations. And as you know the weaknesses of each of us, let each one find you mighty to save. In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.